So our um, the, the, the reading that I'll be kind of focusing on today for um, the message is the one from Acts. And uh, Peter is actually retelling the events that had just actually happened the chapter prior. And whenever an author, especially in the ancient world, um, says something like basically the same exact thing two times in a row, that's, he's basically screaming it, which means it is very, very important to that particular author. Um, but there might have been something that caught your eye, maybe, in uh, the second verse of our reading, that uh, Peter has an encounter with some people that apparently are called the circumcision party. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a really lame party. Uh, or at least not a party that I want to be associated with. I mean, like, really? Um, at least to us, and to modern ears, it sounds really weird. <laughs> However, to uh, people, uh, Jewish people essentially, or, or Judeans from the first century, it would have made perfect sense. See, if you grew up Jewish in the first century, uh, and really before, a lot of your life would have revolved around being separate. Uh, being separate from the Gentiles, from the Greeks and the Romans. Uh, because that cuts to the heart of one of the things that God was doing when he established his people Israel. He was setting a people apart. And there were certain parts of his law that helped accomplish this. Things like uh, the food laws, like kosher and stuff like that. And as best we can tell, as long as they kind of followed those laws, it really worked. If you want to get super nerdy, uh, from an archaeological standpoint, ancient Israelite and ancient Canaanite remains, so they all kind of live pretty close together, uh, the ancient Israelite and ancient Canaanite remains are almost identical, with the exception that you, knew, you know you're an Israelite remains because there would be no pig bones. If, if you only eat certain things, and the rest of the world actually truly love pig, uh, you will be set apart. You had other things like circumcision that were pretty obvious that you were different from your Gentile neighbors. And one of the things that this uh, circumcision party got really, really upset about uh, for Peter was that he had the audacity to eat with Gentiles. I mean, in the modern era, that actually still makes some sense. So, like, if I'm having dinner with you, it implies that we have a kind of relationship. But for the ancient world, it was much more than just a passing friendship or something like that. Uh, eating with people meant that you identified with them in some sort of way, which is why it was so scandalous when Jesus was eating with the wrong sorts of people. Now, as it turns out, and the reason why the, this circumcision party or the circumcision group were so upset with Peter is really that this is entering into uh, the most important um, disagreement uh, in or uh, among New Testament era Christians. I mean, modern Christians, we have disagreements all the time. This was the first. See, originally after Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a judgment. And really, historically, we treat the way of Jesus as a Jewish group uh, for a couple of generations. About 70 AD is when things start to split. But as the gospel started to spread, that the Messiah has in fact come, and we know that he was the Messiah because God raised him from the dead, well, some Gentiles got in on this. Some non-Jewish, Greco-Roman people 
started following Jesus as their Savior, their Messiah. And that elicited some concerns, some questions. And what it really boiled down to is, do these Gentile followers of Jesus have to become ethnically Jewish? And to do that, you would be looking at circumcision and food laws, essentially. Like, no pork or shellfish or anything like that. Uh, And gentlemen, um, we need to talk. I've got a sharp piece of flint. You're going to want to take the next week off kind of thing. As you can imagine, the Gentile followers of Jesus, especially the men, had some concerns. (laughs) And so the earliest Christians had to wrestle with what do we do? Is the way of Jesus ethnically Jewish? Or is it for absolutely everybody? Now, that question seems very obvious to us today, but that's because we've got 2,000 years worth of looking back. It was not clear at that time. One of the things that helped clear it up was what was described in that reading. Peter is sitting, in, uh, sitting on a roof and he is praying, and he falls into this trance and has a vision. No, I cannot explain what that is talking about. The Holy Spirit does weird things. And he gets this vision, and there's a sheet, and it has all of these animals on it. And he says, rise, kill, and eat. And assume, uh, we assume that, that amongst those animals were animals that were unclean, things like pigs and stuff like that. And Peter, does, he, he gives the right response. No, I would never do that. Because he's not supposed to. He knows what God wants of him. But then... God says to him, do not call unclean what is clean. Uh, That signals that something big has just happened. Because the the entire history of their people, they've known that those things were unclean. In Jesus, something big happened. Now, of course, it took him three times of telling this to Peter. I, in my imagination it certainly didn't happen like this but it would certainly help me Uh, if I were in that position you know you open up the uh, the sheet and there's all these animals it's like Peter trust me there's a thing called bacon Mm. lobsters crab oysters you're gonna love it Um, now immediately after this a, a gentile comes knocking looking for Peter And Peter follows him, and he proclaims Jesus, and he and his whole household are baptized that day, believing in Jesus. And it broke the minds of the earliest church, because suddenly, apart from the covenant with Israel, people are now following this rabbi from Galilee who died a horrendous death and then through whom God defeated death by raising him from the dead. Now this is huge. And it had ramifications that have reverberated throughout our 2,000 year history as followers of Jesus. 
Because it turned out that the way of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, as he gave his life for the sins of humanity and God defeated death by raising him from the dead and he walked out of that tomb three days later, it, it, it meant that that, that what Jesus accomplished was actually for everybody. That was not a given in Jesus' moment and in his day. But it turned out that the way of Jesus is for everybody. And what it has developed is the most diverse movement in human history. It started with deep unease and division between those who were Jewish and following Jesus and these Gentiles who were just trying to figure out what it meant to follow him. Let me give you an example of how hard this would have been. Uh, imagine that, that moving into Albuquerque were um, refugees slash immigrants, or however you want to say it, uh, who ha- of people who had formerly been associated with like ISIS or something like that. I realize we have a bunch of government workers here and military, and you I realize that plenty of you would say, well, that wouldn't happen for this, that, or national security, or whatever. That's where the metaphor breaks down, and just ignore that part. Um, all metaphors break down at some point. But imagine this group of people who had formerly been associated with ISIS, or the Taliban, or whatever, uh, come to Albuquerque. They find Jesus, or re- realistically, Jesus finds them. And they decide that Christ Lutheran Church is going to be their church home. That would be amazing. That would be incredible. It would be a miracle. It would be, honestly, one of the coolest things of my career. It would be so powerful. But let's not kid ourselves at how difficult that would be for everybody trying to get along. (laughs) That is what the earliest, earliest church, the church from the book of Acts, went through. They had to figure it out. And what they figured out is that Jesus is not just the Messiah for certain ethnic bounds, but rather he's for everybody. And as the church took that to heart and, and, and started proclaiming Jesus to absolutely everybody, as I said, it created the most interesting, wild, and diverse group of people and movement that this world has ever seen. I'll give you a small example from our sort of weird Lutheran world. Like, Lutherans love to break apart. We fight a lot. We need to take acts a little more seriously, I think. Um, But in our Lutheran denomination, there are about somewhere between two and two and a half million people in the U.S. So we're a small denomination. Uh, We're definitely not the smallest. There are seven and a half million Lutherans in Madagascar. That's diverse. I, I would challenge you to find a language group in which the Bible has not been translated. throughout history and throughout the world, as it turns out, the good news is for everybody. 
that God sent his son to die in our place, winning us our forgiveness. And not only that, but sealing it by by raising Jesus from the dead. When Jesus walked out of that tomb three days later, new life, resurrection life, renewal, broke into a world that was incredibly broken and in desperate need. And this gospel, this Jesus, is for everybody. There is a plate, a place at the table of God open for everyone. Now, I, I think, I'm not sure, but there, I think there are like two reactions that can happen from this kind of message. On the one hand, it's... Uh, hopefully sort of um, an appreciation that we are part of a church. Uh, and I, don't, I hesitate to call it an institution, and, and frankly, the word movement seems too small, but this thing of new creation breaking into our world, it is 2,000 years old, and it is flourishing all over the world. Not necessarily in the modern West like the, in Europe and the U.S. We're kind of having a moment, but it is thriving elsewhere. And you are part of this thing that has gathered broken people just like you in every uh, language and color and origin under the banner of Jesus our Savior. You are part of that. The reason why I chose this particular reading is is that in our first service we confirmed um, a couple of kids who have gone through catechism and they have stood up and they have said, this is my faith. And in this service we get to celebrate another little one joining the kingdom. There's another reaction that I suspect not everybody, but it can happen. Where when I start using words or phrases like, there's a place for everybody at God's table. Everybody is welcome. The kingdom of God is open to everybody. Jesus died uh, and invites everybody and seeks everybody to come and join and be a part of his church and his kingdom. That maybe in the back of our heads, some of us, we might start thinking, that's great, that's true. But not them. Or not those people. Or but those over there, eh, they need to shape up first. Or sure, God, God's, uh, God's uh, house is open for them, but first they need to... I'm guessing I'm not alone in thinking that is really what I'm trying to say. The answer is that while we in God's family, there are certain things that we just do not do or we strive not to do or certain things that we will not allow, at the same time, God's gracious uh, invitation is open to all. Faith is a gift God loves you without condition. Jesus died for your sins and wants you to enter into his kingdom, period. That grace itself is not 
explicitly based on your behavior. You cannot earn God's grace or His forgiveness or His love. But instead, through Jesus, He welcomes everybody. Amen. I invite you to rise as we sing the offertory.